Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and I'm your host, and we are continuing with our series on setting up classrooms. And today I want to start with a story. One year, many moons ago, I was setting up one of the toughest classrooms that schedules that I've ever created. I had 12 students in a self-contained classroom who ranged in ability from not being able to stay in their chair to being pretty independent, but badly needing to learn social interaction skills. There were also either eight or nine staff. So the zoning plan wasn't fun either. And it kills me that I can't find a copy of the schedule anywhere. Anyway, it was a tough schedule when I sat down to try to figure out how I would group the students together. We had eight or nine staff, but only three or four of them were regularly in the room because almost every student went to general education with a staff member. There were lots of challenges with this schedule, obviously, but the one that sticks in my mind the most was how to group these students. When I go to create a schedule, the students typically rotate through a set of centers in groups, in small groups. There are lots of ways that you can group students, but in this classroom, While I knew it was going to be tough, I grouped the three more independent students together to work on social interaction throughout their centers because that was something that they needed. And that meant that the two students who had some significant challenging behavior and didn't typically remain in an area would be together. By the time we got through the end of the first day of school, I thought that my team was going to kill me because all of the person that was running that group of two students did all day long was manage behavior and run after them because they couldn't keep them in their center. So my team and I hashed this around and around after the first day of school, as we always sit down and talk about what worked and what didn't. They begged me to please change the schedule. I explained why I grouped the students as I did, and we all recognize the importance of the students in need of socialization having that opportunity. But it took us a while to come to a conclusion about what to do about the schedule, because clearly it wasn't going to work quite the way it was being done that day. We finally decided that we didn't want to break up the groups that we had. And that left us with figuring out how to make it work for the two students who had limited learning readiness skills. So instead of deciding to make a change to the schedule, we actually decided to change the environment. We rearranged the environment so that students had furniture that gave them very clear boundaries of where to stay in the center. We hadn't had quite the definitive uh, barriers that we had when we were done, when we went through the schedule. That afternoon, we made a ton of simple one-step work tasks, put-in tasks that the two students could really engage with easily with limited support. Granted, they didn't last very long, but they would at least engage with them. 
And when we had an extra set of hands, we zoned them to that area during center time. So when we got an extra person, that's where they went. Then we worked really hard to concentrate on teaching those students basic learning readiness skills, like sitting in their chair and following directions throughout multiple times of the day. It wasn't an easy schedule when we ran it the next day, but after a few days, it did get easier. The key was always in making sure that the students had something in their hands to do. I always use that as an example that there's never one solution to every problem. And if we brainstorm hard enough, we might be able to come up with alternate solutions. And moving on to present day, I think that's going to be something that's going to be really important. As we approach the beginning of fall 2020, and we grapple with how to best educate students during the pandemic, setting up the special ed classroom schedule may seem like the least of our problems. But in reality, it's still the most important thing that we can do. Whether you are doing distance learning, or you have a social socially distant classroom that your students are coming back to, the schedule continues to drive the predictability and routine that our special ed classrooms need. It's also one of the most complex parts of setting up a special ed classroom, in my opinion. In episode 41, I talked about the model for the classroom setup and how it needed to focus on the individual needs and really increase our predictability and structure. In episode 42, I talked about how to begin that individualization with the teaching implementation plan or the TIP. And this week, we're going to take the TIP information and start to translate it into the schedule. Now, before I get started, there's a couple things I want you to know. There is a freebie that is associated with this um, episode, so you can go grab it at the resource library, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. If you want to know more about setting up your classroom than what I can do in 20 minutes, then come join us in the Special Educator Academy, where we have a whole class, and we're working together every Sunday night on how we can modify these steps for the situations that we're in now. And you can find out more about that at Special Educator Academy academy.com. Now, let's get started. Once you have the tips completed for all the students, you should have some idea about what activities you're going to include in your schedule. Because of the time that we're living in, the activities may look a little different than the way that we've done it before, but we still need to make sure that they meet certain guidelines. Regardless of your setting, there's a few things that we want to make sure we have in place. First, we want to make sure that we've got a mix of activities by size of groups. So you're going to want some small groups and some full class groups. What those look like will depend on your students and your setting. So in distance learning, you might be doing breakouts in a face-to-face web conference, in a socially distance classroom, you may have your student groups staying in the same area of the classroom. You also want to make sure that you've got a mix of physical and sedentary activities. And I think that this is going to be incredibly important regardless of which setting you find yourself in. If you're doing distance learning, you may want to make sure that you have some movement scheduled in frequently because sitting in front of the screen is hypnotizing to some degree. It's going to be really important to counterbalance that screen staring with movement. Our kids are used to moving more than sitting in a meeting. 
If you're doing classroom instruction, then the students are probably going to need to stay in the same place during the day, and that's going to make movement breaks even more key. Don't forget that you always want your classroom activities to be age respectful, meaning that they are developmentally appropriate for your students, but they look appropriate for the student's age. Now, I'm not saying that you can never use something that is younger than a student's age, but I do think we have a responsibility in our classrooms to teach our students the more age respectful types of things. And I think that we owe it to them not to have their peers from the rest of the school come in and feel like it's a baby classroom. Younger activities go with younger students, developmentally appropriate, but older activities go with middle and high school students who have significant disabilities. And I know that can be challenging, but again, that's where that brainstorming becomes important. And finally, it's important that we're building a classroom by selecting activities in which we can embed the students' goals and curriculum. I'm not a big fan of classrooms that are all one-to-one, unless that's just really where we're starting and we've got a plan to move out of that, because the world doesn't function in one-to-one, and that's not the learning setting we want our students to get used to for long periods of time. But all full group isn't going to make a lot of sense for most of our classrooms either. And like most of our decisions in special education setup, it depends on the students. So if we think about distance learning in a special ed schedule, it might include a variety of online and offline activities. Remember that students are doing distance learning still need to practice skills that they've learned and they still need explicit instruction from the teacher. So you want to strike a balance of those two to accommodate their family schedule and your schedule. To address this, you might send an independent work system home uh, with a video model. We have some in the Special Educator Academy that are designed as tutorials that shows them how to set it up, how to teach it, and how to use it. That becomes an offline practice activity for your students to use. If you have a classroom, if you're coming back to the classroom in a socially distant situation, then You might want to use centers, but you may not be able to rotate your students through different groups to switch it up. So you might leave the students in their places in the room and put them together to stay in their groups and rotate the staff instead. That limits their exposure to other students, but it still allows them to work with different staff. And don't forget that you may want to add some socialization activities in, even though you're being socially distant, you can still work on games and activities that involve small or large groups for social skills, as long as the students aren't touching or sitting next to each other. So let's talk next about allocating time in the special ed setting. Once you know what your activities need to be and how they're going to support your goals and objectives from your tip, It's a matter of deciding how long they should be, as well as how much time you need to dedicate to them. In some classes, you might have a five-minute morning meeting. In others, you might have a 25-minute morning meeting. It just depends on the needs of the students. And here are some keys that I think of for allocating time for schedules, regardless of what setting you're in. You always want activities to end with success. If your students are tuning out or leaving the activity before it's over, your activity is too long, even if that activity is snack. If your students are getting up when they're done eating and wandering around, they either need something to do to keep them engaged 
or they need a shorter snack time. It's better to start out the year with shorter times and then make them longer than to have to try to do it the other way around. Having a schedule that moves too quickly is really easier to fix than trying to rein in the problems that have been created when your activities are too long. In addition, your times may need to match up to the bell schedule or the school schedule, especially for older teacher, older students. Don't get yourself caught in the trap of thinking that you have to do one activity for 90 minutes of a block schedule. However, that doesn't mean, you know, you may have to do reading for 90 minutes, but that doesn't mean that you have to do the same reading activity for that whole 90 minutes. Break it up into smaller chunks. Do a little bit of instruction. They do a little bit of practice. They read to you. You read to them. They answer some questions. You move on to a different activity that's still reading-based. Maybe they move on to an independent work system that has reading in it. This is what general ed teachers do all the time. They don't just stand up and lecture all day. Um, They call it all by the subject being taught, but they're breaking up into small groups. They're having students work on their own. They're presenting information to them as a full class. They're breaking that activity up. They're just not calling it by different names. And many times our students really do need to break it up with those names. It's okay for the students to participate in a different time for the activity. So don't feel like every student has to do the same amount of time in each activity. So Jamal may be able to manage group activities for 10 minutes. Carlos may be able, may need 20 minutes to make group activities worthwhile for him. Just make sure that when Jamal is finished with his 10 minutes, you have something for him to do that is productive for him. He can't just sit and wait. He needs instructional time. He just needs it in smaller chunks. Let's talk for a minute about grouping. And that goes back to the story that I shared at the beginning of the podcast. It might be one of the trickiest things of putting the whole thing together. You can group students by similar or different things by activities. It might be independence. It might be the skills that they're working on. It might be the curriculum that they're on. Uh, It might make sense to put students with more similar social skills together so they can interact. You might also put that socially adept student in a group with a student who needs that model. And that being that model for that student may help to build that student's confidence in their own social skills as well. It's often assumed that you should put the students together based on their similar academic needs. But for academic centers, that might help. And it will certainly reduce the amount of switching that you have to do, but you don't have to do it that way. You can have students that are working on their assignment while you instruct a student on a different level and then switch. The more you practice it, the easier it is to do and assure that you're really attending to both students, that they're still both working on those skills and that they're getting equal instruction. The next thing we have to think about is sequencing the events in the schedule. Once you have an idea of the activities and the length, as well as the student groupings, you can start to think about how to put it together. And this is an area that I think is going to be tough in the coming year. If you're a sequence, if you're sequencing activities in the classroom, typically I use the pre-MAC principle or the first then principle, something that's hard for him, followed by something that's easier for him. Um, And I do that particularly for some students more than others. The challenge that I think we're going to have in this fall of 2020 is that in the classroom, you may not be able to move the students around. 
And we can solve that by rotating the staff, as I talked about before. You may not be able to change your groups up, though, across your day. So that piece of it may be more of a challenge. For distance learning, especially if you have a paraprofessional, you can still do centers online. If your students are doing face-to-face with web conferencing like Zoom, use breakout rooms. Breakout rooms allow you to divide the group, the class into smaller groups where they could work with a paraprofessional. You could also consider having the students do a center-like independent work at home offline. They can leave the web conference open so you don't have to worry about them signing back on, complete their hands-on activity, or work with a parent for practicing a skill, and then come back to the group. So the next piece that we have to do is take all of this and put it all together. I use a schedule grid that's broken down into either 10-minute, 20-minute, 30-minute segments, depending on the class. I start with the activities that I can't change, like lunch, recess, and PE. Those are out of my control, so those have to go in there first. Then I prioritize whose schedule in the classroom needs to be most finessed, which students need to have challenging work, followed by independent work. I sometimes call this in-my-face work, leave-me-alone work. Uh, These are the students that really can't handle two centers of really challenging work all at the same time. They're the most sensitive to the sequencing, so I schedule them first. And then the other students who can be more flexible, I can schedule them around them. So as you put your schedule together, you want to make sure that each activity on the schedule has specific goals for why you're doing it. And you want to make sure that you have activities scheduled throughout the day. So if you're looking for what a schedule might look like, head over to the free resource library at library.autismclassroomresources.com and you can download, register and download five example classroom schedule grids for all different ages that you can use just to get ideas for classrooms. Remember that schedules will always have to be tweaked. Um, When all of this is done, you're going to run it. You're going to see if it works. I've never had a schedule that worked perfectly the first day. Um, but if you've thought it out, there's going to be fewer changes than if you just kind of wing it. I think it's also important to remember that class schedules don't run like trains. So I'm setting up a schedule based on time of the day, but that doesn't mean that at 1010, if we haven't changed, we're going to have a meltdown as a teacher. It means that at 1010, we're going to check with the rest of the staff. Hey, how's that kid doing over there? How are you guys doing? this is really going badly. Can we move a little quicker? So I usually put somebody in charge of the timer, one of the adults, and they know to kind of cue themselves in some way two minutes before we're going to be done. And they check with all the adults in the room. Hey, how's everybody doing? We've got about two more minutes. And somebody may say, this is going terribly. Can we please move now? And everybody can make that shift. Or somebody may say, I just need a few more minutes. He's almost done with his journal. Let's not move yet. And maybe we stretch the activity a little by a minute or two. So it doesn't run like a train schedule. We've got to be flexible, but we also have to check with each other because it affects all of the students in the classroom. Setting up the special ed classroom schedule is probably the most challenging part of starting the new school year. However, if you put the time up front, I guarantee that it pays off in less stress at the start of the year. I do think that this year is going to be more challenging depending on your situation. In the Special Educator Academy, we're working through it together. And trust me, you're not the only one who's overwhelmed. 
We have training on restarting schools. We're working on, we have training for setting up distance learning, and we're adapting my setup, setting up classrooms course in a study group to meet the distant learning and the socially distant classrooms needs throughout the year. So hop over and join us. You can get a seven-day free trial at specialeducatoracademy.com. I would love to hear about your struggles with classrooms, and I'll be posting tips in our Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. Hop over and join us if you're an educator at specialeducatorsconnection.com. And I'll make sure to put that link and the link to the resource library to download the schedules and everything else and some other uh, tips in the show notes. And the blog post will have a little bit more detail on my last couple tips. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. I hope that these tips are helpful for you and feel free to let me know if you have questions. And hopefully you'll be back next week when we're actually going to talk about physical environment. And I'll be talking a little bit about how we're going to deal with socially distancing when we get back to the classroom. Thanks. 